0: Hello and welcome back to Franklin Covey's newest podcast, C-Suite Conversations with Scott Miller. That's me. I'm your host. You may recognize my mug or my voice as the host of Franklin Covey's other podcast on Leadership with Scott Miller, now the world's largest weekly leadership podcast, where after about 250 episodes, we realized that the most downloaded listened to episodes weren't always the Hollywood celebrity or actor or a big famous C-Suite business titan, but perhaps people that were in the C-suite that you could relate to their career journey. They had insights, practical insights they could actually share with each of us on our own journeys. And today our guest is Melissa Daimler. She happens to be a chief learning officer at a company we all know, but may not all know how to pronounce the name of. I've heard (laughs) it called both Udemy and Udemy. I've heard all kinds of different, it's obviously a great on-the-scene learning organization, very complimentary to Franklin Covey. Melissa, welcome to C-Suite Conversations. Would you please finally settle the score on what is the name of your organization the right pronunciation?
1: It is Udemy.
0: Udemy. So for all those that have been calling it Udemy or Udemy for decades, we're now gonna call it, say it one more time for everyone.
1: Udemy.
0: Udemy, and give us the origin of that if you will.
1: Oh geez, um, I think it came from uh, you as a person and um, education. So we, com- I think, we mashed those together.
0: There you go. I'll, I'll take that. But thank you for the clarification. So uh, you've had an amazing <laughs> okay. journey. Your your career has been remarkable. You serve as the chief learning officer now for one of the most uh, on the rise, if you will, learning organizations that Franklin Covey, of course, follows, and no doubt you follow us as well. We like to have an abundance mentality and shine a spotlight on all the providers that are out there, and sometimes we also collaborate. So look forward to an ongoing conversation. Your journey to your current organization has been remarkable. You've had um, long and short stints at some of the biggest names in the industry, including Adobe and Twitter, and most recently, even WeWork, that's had an interesting ride as well. What I'd like to do is take a few minutes. Will you talk a bit about your current role and what your organization does, what they're passionate about, who their customers are. Talk a little bit about the culture in your current employer.
1: Sure. Well, first of all, it's great to be here. Uh, I uh, so appreciate uh, what you do. I I think I still have one of my first Franklin uh, Covey binders that I'm dating myself (laughs) that I got years ago to kind of help me uh, keep my, my life and, and work in order. So it's it's great to be here. Um, I am the chief learning officer at, at Udemy, as you said, and I've been here for almost a year now. Um, I get the pleasure of not just uh, looking at our own what we call mates, uh and, and their development and learn experiences, but I, I get to Uh, focus on two other pieces one is our products and our solutions so have a hand in kind of how we think about learning and design and you know what ultimately do we want you as a learner to take as a skill you know not just uh, what we want you to consume but what are the actual skills we want you to learn so I get to and my team gets to have a hand in Designing what some of those product features are and some of those solutions are, and then the third component, which I love, is this focus on customers. So every day I spend time uh, with our customers, other chief learning officers, CHROs, and I get to be a thought partner with them and hear what some of the challenges are, uh, and we get to learn from each other. It's not just us being the expert, but you know, I take bits and pieces from them and and learn a little bit about how they're thinking about learning, especially in this new world of, of hybrid work where we're all trying to figure out this playbook. Um, but I, we spend a lot of time with customers taking their feedback in and then incorporating it into uh, what we offer here.
0: Melissa, thank you. We'll come back to you to me and talk a little more about uh, who your customers are and the value you're adding. You've had a remarkable career. At some of the biggest names, like I said, in the industry, I'd love to just take a moment and maybe ask you to share one key insight that you've taken away from both Adobe, Twitter, and then lastly your stint at WeWork. I'm sure they're all three of them that do something well or did something well. When you think back about the culture at Adobe, whether it be processes or leadership or product development, what's something that you took away? From a long tenure at Adobe that you think every leader should be thinking about in their own capacity regardless of their industry or even their functional role?
1: I think Adobe is the place where I put my teeth on all things HR. I was there for almost 11 years and learned a lot uh, about HR, but also the business. And I think what Adobe did well is they, we, we went through a lot of transformation while I was there. We changed uh, CEOs twice. We, uh, we had two major acquisitions. We changed our business model. And every time there was a shift, uh, I think we did a really good job in pausing to think about the entire system. I talk a lot in my book about systems thinking. And so we looked at you know, where we were going as as far as our, our mission uh, was focused, we looked at our strategy to see what are some of the things we need to change now or tweak. Um, but we also looked at how we were working, our culture. And so we always looked at those as one system. Um, we also with that looked at uh, our leaders and what do we need to do to help them continue to grow as as leaders as we evolve as an organization. So that was a big uh, foundational uh, piece of learning that I got from Adobe. And I think they still do that well today is connect all of those pieces as they continue to grow. I think with Twitter, um, that was a huge learning opportunity for me too. I, I think it was a, um, I was there for almost uh, five years, free uh, IPO, IPO, uh, I call it the glory years. Um, they, we were moving fast and I, I think I, I learned how to uh, really get something out, ship it, as, as we fondly said, uh, into a, a version one, a prototype, even if it wasn't 100% perfect. And so, you know, how do you continue to uh, innovate and create and design together and get something in front of our customers, even if, again, it's not perfect, but we know it's better to get that in front of them and iterate along the way. So that was a skill and a practice that I got from Twitter. I think WeWork, I can say now, was a great learning opportunity for me to reinforce how important culture is uh, it was a huge impetus for me to, to write the book and uh, really help everybody uh, realize a lot of us in HR know the value of it, but it is a strategic lever, I believe, in having a successful business. And if you're just focused on uh, the strategy and the business and the revenue and making money, and you're not focused on you know, how people are working and practicing some of those values, a lot can collapse beneath you. Um, So a a lot of good lessons from WeWork as well.
0: Melissa, let's talk about uh, capabilities, skill capabilities in 2022. You're the chief learning officer at Udemy. You know a lot about what's uh, in demand in terms of jobs and job skills. Obviously, you have both a B2C and a B2B channel, both growing Mm -hmm. quite substantially. What do you think, independent of job function, what do you think are the most important skills, capabilities that knowledge workers need today, whether they're an engineer or they're in HR or supply chain, or they're working in the lunchroom, whatever they're, regardless of agnostic, their job, what are the most important capabilities you see on the map right now?
1: I think, well, we just came out with our latest uh, Workplace Learning Skills Index, and it was interesting to look at some of the skills that people are, are, consuming most. And it was similar to what we found with our annual uh, um, report last year. And I describe it as kind of this, this balance between, uh, you know, kind of being forward thinking, really focused on uh, strategy and what's next longer term, and also being efficient and being able to respond to what's right in front of you. Um, so we saw a lot of people, uh, consuming classes around efficiency and, um, productivity, uh, which, which you know, well, um, but also how to be a strategic thinker. Um, you know, how do I put together, uh, I think there was another one called, um, uh, strategic mapping. And so there's this kind of, um, uh, polarity between, you know, kind of, uh, strategic thinking and short-term thinking and, and being effective. And I don't think it's one or the other. I think in the last couple of years, we've realized we have to have both and we have to be agile. We have to both look at what's coming at us day to day and how do we plan for that, but also how to be a longer-term thinker. So that that has been a huge trend uh, that we've seen from a, from a leadership standpoint, for sure. Um I would say some of the other skills uh, you know we we've, we've heard a lot talked about I mean a lot, the digital skills and you know to your point whether or not you're you're an engineer or um you know you're coding for a living I think just understanding more about some of the the digital skills we need um to to be prepared for future technologies is also also really critical so we've continued to see um, things like cloud computing, um, AWS uh, certifications on the rise. Um, so, I, I, again, I, I would say this balance between you know, leadership development and leadership skill sets and also being savvy on digital skills and technical skills.
0: Speaking of leadership skills, I think I read recently you penned a Forbes column or article where you basically kind of had a call to action for leaders and their need to move perhaps from communication more towards empathy. And it's a word we Mm -hmm. hear a lot right now, right? Empathy as a leadership competency, especially, you know, post-pandemic, if in fact we are post-pandemic. Are they mutually exclusive? How are they different? How do you define maybe that move from communication towards empathy?
1: I think that, you know, again, we've, we've had a lot of lessons these last couple of years. I think leaders and managers have had to take on additional skills and an additional role to be more of that empathetic coach, um, to, to really understand uh, where that person is, is coming from, um, which I think is, is what empathy is. It's really um, asking those good questions Really listening in a way to inquire and understand where that person is coming from, what is their reality, what is their experience, and so I do think um, empathy is a leadership skill that um, you know we haven't we haven't really talked about that as much uh, in my career um, than we have in the last couple of years. So um, being able to again um, really understand holistically. More about your employee, and even um, you know, I would say there's a lot of uh, research now about burnout and wellness issues in the workplace. We're still burnt out, you know. <laughs> it's not like we're coming out of the pandemic and we're all good now. Um, I, I think burnout is also a systems issue. Issue. It's an organizational issue, and it's not just about you know, go take care of yourself, go take a day off. It really is. a uh, a call to action for us to shift how we're working. Um, And again, part of that in in how we're working is, is how we're leading.
0: In your 20 plus long career, where you started in human resources and now you're sort of crescendoing into, you are in the chief learning officer spot. As you look back at the careers of colleagues around you that were disrupted, flamed out, or were ended because of behavior, what are some of the leadership competencies that those people lacked or knew about but didn't employ or took, took, you know, license with? Are there some defining leadership skills that you have found are pretty consistent in people's careers, either not moving forward or being um, hijacked or ended outright?
1: I, I think one of the, Lessons or you know opportunities we had over the last couple of years from the pandemic is that a lot of what we knew worked with leadership development got amplified. Um, so I, I think some of those skills like accountability, um, like uh, clarity around what it is we're trying to do here, uh, is a is a skill that. We may have been able to get away with and been a little sloppier when, when we were all together, you know, when most of us were together in an office, um, because we had an opportunity to say, "Hey, you know, Scott, I, you know, I forgot to ask you, or what, what's going on with that one project, or who's supposed to make that decision?" So, I, I think the leadership skill around driving towards clarity and accountability and making sure everybody understands what their role is, who the decision maker is, what the ul- ultimate outcome is for this project, when we're shifting strategy, what are we taking off? So there's a um, a clarity and um, a, a call to action for your systems to be clean uh, and everybody to be clear on you know kind of what it is they're doing. So, so that's a, a big piece that um, I, I'm seeing and I, I've seen leaders kind of, using your words, uh, flame out when they're, when they're not as focused on that accountability piece. Um, I, I would say the other piece is, um, you know, relationship building and looking at not just relationship building in your function, but as we're all working in this hybrid environment, how do we make sure that we're working cross-functionally? Um, a lot of companies that, you know, a lot of leaders who are listening to this are, are global leaders. So how do we make sure that we're, um, you know, connecting with our global colleagues, that we're, again, having clarity around um, who's supposed to be doing what in those in those global projects? So um, being able to cut through some of those silos that start to be created as companies get bigger, I think is a, a really key skill to continue to hone.
0: Well well said. Let's talk a bit about culture. You've recently released a book, I think, titled Reculturing, and I'm fascinated mm-hmm. to read this book because uh, I lead a team. It's a small team, about 10 people. There is a member in Wisconsin, a member in recently relocated from uh, Utah to North Carolina, a team member who relocated from Utah to Texas, three or four in Utah. Three or four are full-time, three or four are part-time. Two or three are contractors across four generations. Some are full-time wow. in the office, some are in, you know, uh, in hybrid offices. I mean, it's you know, as, as hybrid <laughs> as you could get between contractors, full-time, part-time, generations, geographies, skill sets. How do you maintain a culture where people uh, give their heart and their mind where they're excited and energized to come and give their best and, and build their skills, where they choose to stay, where they say no to LinkedIn offers every day. In 2022, how do you build a culture, reculture yourself, to make sure that you're <laughs> doing your best to inoculate your team against all the professional overtures, but also create a place where people don't feel burnt out, they feel like their wellness is important, and to, your, to quote you, they're focused on clarity and getting the job done. It's a tall mm-hmm. order right now.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is a tall order right now. Um, so I, I one of the reasons I wrote the book is because you know you and I've been in this this career for a few years, over 20 years. and I kept I've read everything out there about uh, culture. I think that there is every book, every research paper, and it, you know, I didn't know this, but culture as a concept has been around for over 70 years. Um, uh, Dr. Elliot Jocks was the first one who coined the term when he wrote a book called "The, the Changing Culture of a Factory," um, when he realized that there were some dynamics beyond just work that happened in the workplace. Um, but there are so many definitions out there around culture that were fuzzy, were nebulous, um, were kind of relegated to the HR function. You know, it's an organization's personality. It's the heart. Uh, uh, somebody who's been in this field for over 30 years said in, uh, culture is like leaves on a tree with the strategy being the trunk. Um, it's what the boss does. Uh, or what's it's what you do when the boss leaves the room. And I just, I, I felt like it was... Um, time for us to have a a definition of culture and just my own experience of culture being a key driver for um, having a successful business and give us agency in designing a more intentional culture. So I really define culture as three things. It goes beyond those definitions. It goes even beyond values, which I think gets us a little closer to the definition of, of culture. But it's more behavioral. So it's what you and I can observe people doing um, on a day-to-day basis. And so behaviors is one key component. And then once we've defined behaviors, it's about processes. So how do we embed each of those behaviors into how we hire, um, how we onboard, how we work, how we give feedback, how we recognize each other. And then the third component is practices. So how do we um, have these day-to-day kind of um, actions that we do, like meetings, how we communicate on Slack or whatever medium we use, um, you know, how we make decisions. All of those are building culture. And, you know, we're either, um, culture is happening you know, whether by design or default. So we might as well be designing it in the way that we want. So to answer your question, I think that we've gotten a little lazy um, and we've had culture be conflated with ping pong tables and free food and all the things that are in an office versus really thinking about culture as how work gets done between people. So your team, you know, that that is all over, um, you know, can still build culture with each other as you're working with each other in a synchronous way and as you're working in an asynchronous way.
0: I once heard um, a story recently. I was in Manhattan, and I was with someone, a publisher, and they're owned by a bigger company, and they said that a memo came down from on high that said, all those who are in the building, please keep your uh, personal chatter to a minimum because it might make those who are uh, uh, you know, virtual feel disengaged. And he kind of thought, okay, that's both the stupidest and most interesting thing I've like, ever heard because there is no doubt a culture that's built from being physically together. I think that's undeniable. Mm-hmm. I would definitely prefer to be mm-hmm. in the same space as all of my people. They might not want to be in the same space as me, but that's called self-awareness. But you know, to your point, there is, there is, there are subcultures within teams, right? As the leader, I do create the culture ultimately for the team, mm-hmm. but there are subcultures that are just as important, as important. Does the team feel empowered? Can they collaborate? Can they discuss things without the leader? Can they make decisions and report back to me? I once heard culture defined as how the vast majority of people behave the vast majority of time, whether it be through asking good mm-hmm. questions, having an open culture, gossiping, punctuality, whatever it is. It's no doubt it's, it's a more difficult dive for leaders now to create a culture that's like an esprit de corps, where you wouldn't think mm-hmm. of taking an overture from a competitor because you love this team. Any suggestions as you speak to leaders, what's something you could do today to help to inoculate your team against an overture or just to make sure they feel valued and that they recognize you care about them more than just what they can do for your company or your own career?
1: I, I think uh, one, of the, one of the key things that I think is, is relatively easy and, and doesn't take a lot of time is just in your next team meeting, uh, take 20 minutes and talk about how we're working together. Um, you know, I, I call the book reculturing because I think it is an active set of actions. It is not just an, a, a static initiative. Um, and, and one of those key components is looking at our practices as a team. You know, so just talking with your team and uh, asking questions around, you know, how, how are we doing with these team meetings? Is there something that we could be doing differently? um you know how is our communication am i as a manager accessible enough you know do we need to um be meeting more or less so i i think kind of zooming in on those things that we take for granted and we just kind of do over time they become habits i'm uh challenging a lot of leaders to actively look at those at least on a quarterly basis so, you know, even how we're making decisions and like how how are we working? Take the last kind of major decision that you worked on as a team. How did that go? How could it have been different? Um, so so again, some of those things that we just take for granted and then just become habits, uh, I think are opportunities for us to, to think differently, especially as you said, as new team members come on, we know uh, from experience that, um, even if it's one new team member in a team of 10, that is a new team now. Yeah. And so that is such a huge yeah. opportunity to kind of, you know, relook at uh, all of the practices that may have worked before. But even with that additional team member and, and the growth of the company, it, it, we might want to try something different now.
0: Nicely said. Good advice. I'm thinking about my next team call and how I can enter that conversation. Let's come back to um, Udemy. Is that as I say it right? Udemy. Udemy. Yep. Thank you. See, it's so ingrained in me. Udemy. <laughs> Udemy. Uh, I should know, Seth Godin is a good friend of mine, and he's actually very popular on your platform in years past. So Yes. Um, yep. Uh, what are the most popular courses that you see on the rise? Are there some new courses you're adding because of demand, clients, organizations, individuals? What, what should we look for in the future? From your organization?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think you uh, already covered it. I mean, I, I think from a leadership perspective, we're seeing different skill sets that uh, people are needing throughout their organization. So, um, you know, I, I've always believed that good leaders and managers are coaches. Um, but, I, but I think more and more uh, things like what we talked about before, empathy, and being able to ask questions and um, listen, actively listen to your employees are, are all skills that, that we're continuing to see. I, I think the modality of learning is, is also uh, continuing to evolve. I've always been a fan of cohort learning. It's always been how I've learned best, um, you know, with, with other colleagues to kind of talk through um, you know, a concept and and put it into kind of practice and reality. Um, so we have seen a lot of our, our cohort offerings, um, you know, continue to have more interest because um, I, I think people are realizing, especially in this hybrid world now, there is an opportunity to um, have learning experiences uh, that are interactive, that, Um, provide opportunities to talk with each other, to learn something new um, through our computer. So I I think the cohort learning piece as a modality is is definitely becoming uh, uh, more popular.
0: Expand on that. There's a nerd term we call cohort-based learning. Those who may not be in the learning suite or human resource suite. What does cohort-based learning mean and look like? And how would you expect a customer of yours to be adopting that?
1: Yeah, so cohort-based learning is uh, when you have a a group of people, a group of employees coming together, um, likely in a similar situation. So um, it could be uh, people in uh, the same function. Um, You know, in in past lives, we've often had uh, cohorts for directors, you know, that bump from the senior manager level to a director,
0: or it could be um, individual he, contributor moving up into a leadership could, of people. Exactly, yeah. that's
1: another yeah. another good mm-hmm. example. Um, but people with kind of similar context, if you will, and bringing them together to learn uh, a variety of, of different things that are important for that for that role. Um, And then being able to talk with each other in an asynchronous or or synchronous way. So we actually have a platform where um, you can go in and ask questions, uh, have some reflection, uh, uh, tag people in, um, you know, kind of validating what they said or ask questions. Um, And then throughout the experience, we also have synchronous live opportunities to talk to a moderator and to, to learn different things. And then to bring in, and, and this is, I think, the key component that people really like um, reality, you know, because we all know that the theory and the books are, are good and the concepts um, are nice. But then when you throw in uh, what's actually happening and you're able to talk that through uh, with, with fellow colleagues and a moderator. I think that's where some really good learning happens. You know, so you might learn something around um, how to delegate, um, and uh, you know, get clear on you know kind of your barriers to delegating, and then you go try some of those things the next week. Some things work, some don't, but you might bring that back to the group and say, "Hey, uh, here's what happened. You know, I'm, I'm still struggling with this. What do you think?" Um, so I, I think it's a um, It can be a week long. It can be two weeks. Some of our cohort learning modules are as long as five weeks um, on on a a variety of different topics. But again, I think the whole point of it is to build that community uh, with people who are uh, in similar uh, contexts or or situations as you and be able to kind of have a mix of Mm. uh, theory as well as reality and practice thrown in.
0: Uh, last question before we let you go. Uh, every organization is recognizing that they have a more sort of transitional workforce, right? If you can keep someone for 18 months, that now is a career, right? 25 years for me at Franklin Covey, nearly, nearly mm-hmm. almost 12 for you at one of your That's previous amazing. employers. I know, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, bl- bless them for keeping me so long. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what does the role, what role does learning and development play? and an increasingly transitional, transitory workforce. You have leaders that say, well, gosh, why should I even invest in people? They're only gonna be here for 14, 16 months, 18, if I'm lucky, of course, it's a short-term thought. Any insight on the the paradigm, the mindset that leaders, Mm -hmm. C-suite leaders should have as it relates to making investments in your employees, recognizing that they may or may not last anywhere close to what you hope they will inside your company? Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think, Scott, I, I, what I've realized uh, is that the employer-employee contract that we knew earlier in our career yeah, has, right. has changed quite a bit. So it used to be, you know, I hope I can learn a little bit. I hope I can develop uh, a little bit. And now that is not a hope. That is a must-have. That is not a nice-to-have. It is a demand for every employee and expectation coming into any organization. I'm having conversations and interviews now with with uh, candidates about what they could potentially develop, what skills that we would uh, uh, support them in, in developing. Um, and so I, I think this idea that and, and understanding that, that that is something every employee expects is the first thing. And being able to intentionally help employees figure out, you know, what are some of the skill sets we need you to have as an organization? You know, so for you to be successful, here are some skills that that you need in order to be recognized, in order to get, you know, an expanded expanded scope. Maybe that means a promotion uh, down the line, not in a couple of days, but maybe in a couple of years. Um, Uh, so there's that piece and then it's, what skills do you want to learn? You know, so we know that you're not going to be at this, um, you know, you're likely not going to be here for 25 years. So how can we help you develop the skills that you want to develop and really be looking at it as an opportunity, um, uh, to help that employee grow those skills? I think leaders who, um, are concerned about somebody leaving and not giving them and you know the skills because they're afraid they're going to be too marketable. Those are the leaders that find themselves having to look for new employees all the time because that is just a scarcity um, mentality. Um, so I, I think the leaders who are intentionally developing in their employees, having those development conversations on a regular basis—not annually, not even quarterly, but you know monthly. Um, to figure out what skills you want to have, and then as a leader, um, helping to provide those opportunities formally and informally. I'm always looking for ways for my employees to, you know, get in front of the executive team or, you know, practice um, decision-making on some decisions that we're trying to to create in our own team. So finding ways to help employees develop those skill sets are the kinds of leaders that, um, employees will will stick around for.
0: Melissa Daimler, Chief Learning Officer at Udemy. Did I get it right that time?
1: You did. Fifth times, a, times charm. a charm. Fifth times a charm.
0: <laughs> it's been a joy to watch both your career and the explosive success your organization is happening. We are, like I said, at Franklin Covey, a very abundant organization. We like the fact that there's many players in the marketplace because it helps not just to differentiate us, but it helps to build the space and the awareness that organizations now have to meet this need, this demand, as we both said, Mm -hmm. of uh, individuals coming in and and, and needing to learn or leaving otherwise. So thank you for your time Mm -hmm. today. We appreciate you investing in our listeners and our viewers.
1: Thank you. This was fun.
0: And we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation from the C-suite.